Wasn't that special? Hello and welcome back to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two game likers, Tyler and Nate. I'm Tyler. I'm Nate. We're here to examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular niche RPGs in a book club format. It's season two, we're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and its parallel content in the original game released back in 1997. Today we're getting into Remake's chapter eight. Big chapter, Nate. Big boy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, we got a lot to get through here. How do you feel about just cutting right to the chase and jumping into it before? I'm going to give you a hot list of everything I've been up to in the last three weeks. Go for it. I think it's interesting that people would want to know. Since we last recorded, my PC died and I got it fixed. I bought a laptop that's kicking the shit out of my old ass laptop. I published a three part, six and a half hour explanation of the Earthbound any percent glitchless Nomanip speedrun route. I finished Crisis Core started Tactics Ogre Reborn, started Secret of Evermore for the hell of it, began recording the script to my fourth travelogue, and I made some progress in the basement too. Nice. How's the basement coming along? What's your projected return date? Oh, September, October. It's not moving as fast as I would like it to. Okay. But this temporary place ain't so bad for the time being. I missed my nook. For sure. Mm-hmm. But should we get right into it, Nate? Uh, yeah. You may recall last episode that Cloud took a terrible fall down from the Sector 5 reactor after defeating the Airbuster. Airbuster exploded, it ripped up the catwalk that we were fighting on, and Cloud fell to the, to the slums below. And this chapter picks up at that very moment. Sure. And to kind of set the stage here, I feel like... Something we can get into here is how this chapter is pretty special because I feel in both cases with remake and original for different reasons, this is where we start getting into what I would call the a plot of the game now for anybody who doesn't know that means like a lot of series shows games books whatever they have uh a plots b plots sometimes c plots but things to kind of fill in that space in between major events so that it's not like your heroes or your uh whatever what the people are doing they're not rushing from like catastrophe to catastrophe or like major events so you, you have some other stuff for them to occupy their time with kind of in between well final fantasy 7 sets up with this this giant quest that you're going to take down the eight reactors and then um you know that's going to save the planet and you know because we're very comfortable with the spoilers for og final fantasy 7 the 20 plus year old game we know that we don't actually take down eight reactors at all and so this what we're going to start unraveling here with uh faded meeting as cloud falls to the world below the slums below this is going to start out what i consider the actual 
main plot of the game. And it it was so interesting because playing it as a kid, this felt like the filler or the like you're killing time. And I don't I didn't even know what filler was when I was 11, but it, it definitely felt like, all right, when we get back to the quest and the answer is never, you're never getting back to that, that mm. quest you're on. So it was uh, definitely a very strange experience for me as a kid to like constantly be chasing down these rabbit trails that ended up being the actual main trail, you know? That's a good point. It is an adrenaline dump to have this high tense, well, I mean, maybe not so much. We were joking about the Airbuster fight being kind of easy last episode, but plot-wise, a high tense moment, and then we get ripped out of it, and things are all very placid again. We're starting from what feels like the beginning all over again, but differently this time. Sure. We'll start with remake here because obviously that's kind of the the core game we're we're analyzing and digging into here. Even as we're covering both, you know, this one I think has, especially in this chapter, a lot more to say about our characters and their interactions. So we'll start with remake first. Yeah, sure, sure. When the chapter begins, Cloud falls, eyes closed through a black abyss as those mysterious specters circle him. One screen wipe of white flowers later, an unknown man is speaking to Cloud as he relaxes on the ground. We can't really see the ground though. And the quotes are things like, made it through with a couple of scraped knees back then. Back then? You okay? Yeah. Made it through with just a couple of scraped knees back then. Back then? What do you say? Are we doing this? The man is Cloud, it turns out. This is Cloud talking to Cloud. And we already know, like, if you remember, like, the very nuanced details of the plot of original, this is the cognitive duality of Cloud speaking between one another. He has this persona he presents, and then there is this repressed version of Cloud. And if you didn't already know what repression is, it's burying emotions deep down in your psyche that don't come up. However, they tend to come up when certain triggers happen. Uh, Things that are repressed are never repressed for very long. You hear this in in psychoanalysis quite a bit where it's it's just shaking a fizzy bottle. Like it's going to explode and we'll probably see some of that later in uh, Rebirth, I think. But for the time being, this dialogue that comes up is this repressed cloud speaking with the present cloud, and they are different identities, different psychological presentations of the same person within the same person. As we're drifting down below, cloud's kind of he, he's not like plummeting. He's not about to, and there's no, in this darkness that he's falling in, there's no indication of like his hair whipping back wildly or anything. He's kind of falling slowly and he's surrounded by the, uh, the dusty ghosts, the phantoms we're so familiar with. And so as he's falling in darkness, as the ghosts kind of envelop him, the, the darkness fades and he's kind of consumed by white light and flowers as well. And uh, we know from OG that he he lands in a bed of flowers. So, uh, yeah, that that is what saved him. That's what broke his fall is the bed of flowers below him. And uh, so they're, they're doing this imagery almost in a way of, you know, the, the ghosts, the dusty ghosts look ominous and foreboding and kind of the design language wise, they're evil looking. 
and we've certainly fought them. We have this idea that maybe they're a threat to us previously, but here they're responsible for kind of enveloping him and changing it from darkness to light in this scene. So now I'm getting a very different sense of who they are and what they're doing. Another really interesting aspect. You mentioned the two clouds, the two personalities here. Mm -hmm. The track playing is called uh, Who Am I? from the original Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. The first instance of this being used in OG, I believe, unless I'm missing another spot where it might creep into the game a little bit earlier, the first time I remember hearing it is in a place called the Temple of the Ancients. Now, we don't really need to get too deep into what that is. That is a spot where we we definitely, I'll just say, you know, for for the sake of leaving some of the mystery here for our, our remake side of things, I'll say that is a scene in OG where they very clearly show you that it's like, uh, yeah, this, this guy has something or someone else in there that is fucking crazy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it's for them to be playing that song here in this scene. It's, it's very much alluding to that earlier. And as a little nod for people who played the original of maybe giving more clarity, maybe that's something that the developers feel was a question that was asked a lot of like who what's going on in this conversation because it wasn't necessarily clear in OG it, when it's just text boxes and there's no figures present in the in the dark mm -hmm. and here we have the actual model of like a cloud talking to a cloud in remake so it's very um you know I, I wouldn't say on the nose by any means but it's a lot more descript on what we're experiencing here absolutely now, do you want to hear a wild theory of mine that plays into this? Sure. To keep it simple, I, as an 11-year-old, after finishing the original Final Fantasy VII, I was completely under the impression that the cloud we're playing as and the cloud that was born a human being to a human mother in Nibelheim, they are two different people because... We eventually learn, again, spoiler zone here, but we eventually learn in OG that the the cloud that left Nibelheim and joined the Shinra military, he would eventually find himself impaled on a sword and collapse and fade to black screen. So in my head, that told me, that, that dude's fucking dead. <laughs> and we're playing as somebody else. So... On replays, this scene read as like a huge, like revelatory aha moment of like, wait, Cloud's talking to himself. What we have here is actually in OG, there's a black screen where there's white text, which we could kind of infer that's us. And then there's gray text. And I, I don't know if this is the first time we encounter gray text in OG, but I think it connotes like thought or in an inner dialogue. Would you agree with that? Yeah. An impression I had in, upon replaying it, bear in mind, I know what the intention is in replaying original mm -hmm. right now. But as I was looking at it, looking back, it kind of reads like there's another voice in the room, maybe a little bit of a distance away from the more typical text box sure. and stronger light colored text was coming through. Mm -hmm. which is kind of like proximity to the consciousness in the, between the two psyches. One is louder 
in the conversation than the other because it's more present than the other. Yeah. And so for me, if if I walk through, I'll walk through the dialogue here just a little bit and um, I'm going to, I'm going to call one gray text and I'm just going to call the the white text cloud, right? Mm. As we understand it. So the gray text says back then I only got scraped knees, not we, not, not the collective consciousness within cloud. He says, I only got scraped knees. And then cloud says, what do you mean by back then? Gray, great, great text says, uh, what about now? Can you get up? Cloud again says, what do you mean by back then? What about now? Now, I'm almost wondering if some of this is like translation word salad. <laughs> I wondered too. Yeah, because I'd have to see how it goes. I tried looking it up on the, um, the, the dude who compared the two games translations and I didn't find anything particularly meaty about this scene. And he's pretty good at pointing out when something is meaningfully changed to be worse. So I don't know that it was that much clear in the Japanese. If somebody who speaks Japanese would love to do that for me, we, we could try that. But Great Text says, don't worry about me. Worry about yourself now. Cloud says, I'll try. And then you hear a blue text bubble say, oh, it moved. <laughs> and so Cloud trying to move elicits a response from like a real human with a blue text bubble external to this dialogue going on between the two of them, right? What is, why it moved? <laughs> I, I don't know. I always it, wondered that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what are we talking about when we say it? <laughs> what is she looking at? Is she poking him? Is, yeah. is it his wiener? Did it- <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't say that. You did. It moved. <gasps> and then uh, Great Text says, how about that? Take it slow now, little by little. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And then Cloud says, I know. Hey, who are you? So to me, again, going back to being 11, replaying the game, knowing what I know about the fate of the human being cloud and then whoever the hell I'm playing as mm-hmm. the fact that these two are talking to each other as completely separate people and not like, man, we really fucked up. Right. Like you don't, you wouldn't talk to another piece of your psyche as like, like evil Tyler and say, fuck you, evil Tyler. You would be like, Hey, we screwed up. I need to, we need to fix this. You know, something along those lines feels like one is protecting the other. Sure. Then again, I think Xeno gears kind of takes the same approach too of like, Again, spoilers for anyone who hasn't played Xenogears, but judging by how a lot of the people that listen to us got here, I'm going to assume they've digested some sort of Xenogears. For the character that has multiple multiple personalities in that game, they tend to treat each other as separate as well. We also know that around that time, a lot of these concepts were floating around Square to the point where Xenogears was almost a Final Fantasy game, either 7 or 8, so... I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and that my theory is wrong, but I'm just saying as a kid, I assumed, oh, after everything we learn about our player character, I'm going to assume I'm not actually cloud and I'm talking through, through whatever connective synapses or spiritual Maco powers I have. This conversation is with the real cloud. That's what I thought as a kid. So, and to me, even as an adult, that kind of reads incredibly more interesting than what we actually find out is the case through later media that was released. I don't know. How do you feel about that one? I definitely did not put it together like that when I was a kid. Okay. I think I struggled much more with, um, 
artistic storytelling or how do I, how do I put this? Like, I don't know, thematic. I don't know. It, it didn't come together for me quite so obviously. I had a lot of questions, I remember. Sure. But that made uh, the reveals all the more delicious. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of Cloud's little mind vision scene here, the Cloud that's talking to us in Remake, and this doesn't happen in Original, in Remake it transforms into Sephiroth and the double Cloud rests his hands on Cloud's shoulder and it becomes Sephiroth. He says, I am your everything. There's so much to be done. The the white that he's surrounded in returns to black. So if you take that that dichotomy of Cloud floating in black, the ghosts show up and it turns to white and he seems rescued, he seems safe, and then Sephiroth shows up again and the black returns. They're showing this contrast that maybe Sephiroth and the Spectres are these two opposing forces struggling for control of Cloud in this situation hmm. uh, did you feel that way at all i did sense that the white and black were like you know stylistically in opposition with one another okay so that's where this is the first kind of feeling i got on that that like i said before maybe the ghosts are not our enemy but also sephiroth is kind of different here too you know like he doesn't necessarily he, he's still got his like foreboding and maybe a little even sinister look to him but i mean he's still gorgeous right (laughs) he is still gorgeous it's not like a joker sinister look or like a kefka like completely off-putting you know but he comes off as a little charm charming of like you know we have so much to do cloud it's like what what are you talking about sephiroth like if we look back to og Cloud is nothing to you. You don't even know who the hell he is. And you kind of tear him down halfway through the game. So it's like, this is really interesting to see this from him. And um, to see, again, the ghosts like might be his enemy in this situation. But they're our enemy too because they injured one of our teammates and we had this big battle with them outside the bar. So there's definitely a mystery being seated here with just that little tidbit yeah that's true but on the other hand i'm kind of bored with these sephiroth inserts i would just prefer him to do something already it's chapter eight they keep (laughs) planting him into scenes that i mean i want to call it frivolous but i know we can like read into it and try to see what it means in relation to everything else all the other pieces on the board but Mm -hmm. in my heart of hearts i'm like so what this is your um your shulk getting visions of the emperor dying right yeah for example sure yeah Why not? you're you're feeling the same way in this case mm-hmm. yeah so yeah uh, what happens next is cloud awakes in an old derelict church and the flower girl from chapter two is here rousing him awake apparently cloud crash landed through the roof of this church and landed in a garden of flowers built into the floor of the church and the flower girl tends to these flowers and what's kind of neat is that the bed of flowers itself have a beam of light coming down on it that helps them grow or maybe cloud Produce the beam of light by uh, perforating the roof of the derelict church. Uh, this is the Sector 5 Slums Church, and there's a piano version of Aerith's theme that plays. Uh, I, I think anyone who enjoys Final Fantasy VII recognizes the Aerith theme. 
and it's very elegant and emotional. But I have to ask myself, is this giving away the, the musical theme too early? And, and this is a manifestation of the squishing that you and I have talked about in previous episodes where, uh, okay, well, in original, we don't hear the full Aerith theme in this moment. This is an Aerith moment, but there's this other song called, I think it's called Flowers Blooming in the Church, which has hints of the melody of the proper Aerith theme. And throughout the course of original, the soundtrack is loaded with these examples of songs that share the same themes in them, but they're variations. They hint at the grander one. They are a prelude, a, a variation of the theme. And that uh, is, is, in is intentional as a means to match the uh, the development of that character. Or when they have a major moment, you can feel the same way about that moment as you did in this moment when, we've when we're first seeding things, when we're first meeting Aerith for the first time. And so when a big orchestral piano uh, version of Aerith's theme is playing in a more consequential scene later in the in, in original, you feel that. But in remake, I feel like this particular song that I'm hearing now is the whole theme without seeding it with a prelude, a variation of the theme in the muted sort of way that flowers blooming in the churches for this scene in original. Do you kind of follow what I mean? Definitely. And I think this might sound a little bit weird to people out there, but maybe you can relate is hearing that song now here, uh, kind of like it made me slightly tear up a little bit mm. because the moment when the full theme is introduced in the original game is an incredibly powerful storytelling moment when it comes to her character and learning about her past and what she's dealing with and everything. So to hear it just like peppered in here it's already like wait why are you hitting me with like all of her right now <laughs> like let's let's just live in the like joyous lovable like like you kind of i remember in an early episode you kind of characterized her as the manic pixie dream girl right we debunked that we discussed it out and said you know that is the like front facing appearance of how she was presented mm -hmm in the original but they eventually kind of tear down that trope and they swap the roles later in the game of cloud is the badass Aerith is the woman in needing of uh, in need of saving and they kind of reverse those roles of like clouds incredibly troubled and fucked up and like ends up being like pieced back together by a woman <laughs> in his mind and Aerith is the one who goes on to do the ultimate thing that saves the planet in OG. So it's like, you know, that is that role reversal of how they presented her and how they ultimately used her character through in the story, mm -hmm. maybe on purpose and maybe as like a purposeful design decision to, like I said, we're working into that a plot here. And so maybe the a plot of remake is a little bit different in that right away. They're hitting us with like, big Aerith musical themes, but also big Aerith ideas and character strengths right off the bat too, that we can kind of get into. Oh, very much. I felt it was too early. It felt like Sephiroth being on the streets of Midgar in chapter two. Mm -hmm. It felt way too early. But then if you're thinking about like, what are they trying to do with this? Maybe 
maybe they absolutely know it's too early and they're trying to say something about that. I don't know. So we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Something I want to share with you that I think you'll find interesting is that Cloud arrives at the A plot, as you described it, by crashing through a church into a flower bed. And I can read that like spiritually, where Midgar on the plate, the land of secularism, capitalism, and consumerism, and exploitation of Mako energy, Cloud departs the secularism, crashes through a religious facility, let's say crashes through dogma and into a more pastoral spirituality, the bed of flowers. I wonder if you can draw a line between the whole scope of spirituality in Final Fantasy VII Remake by that action alone. Yeah, you've kind of highlighted three layers to this world they're living in. So high above the the place that humans the pinnacle of humanity in the sky is this big metal technical marvel that is killing everybody with the 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 machines and the smog and the planet with the energy it's sucking up and everything this is everything humanity in exalting itself has created right Mm-hmm. And then the second layer below that is this previous, these old towns that used to exist in Midgar that are kind of covered in rubble. But like we have signs of like, there's a bar here and this bar looks old. It's not pieced together with rubble and like metal they found laying around and robot parts or whatever. This looks like somebody built it 200 years ago. And the same for this church. This church looks like carpenters who were masters of their craft put together a church two, 300 years ago or something, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe a hundred years ago. And that's how, you know, how fast this advancement of Midgar happened. I can speak to the original purpose of the church. Yeah. Okay. According to the Ultimania, that church was erected for the builders of Midgar to pray at and to provide funerals for the workers of Midgar when they passed on the job. And now that Midgar is finished, there's no use for this church anymore. So, uh, though it's not the actual meaning of the song, the phrase losing my religion comes into play of like, Mm. they had religion when they started Midgar and they've since lost it. But sure. uh, sure. For anyone wondering out there, REM losing my religion is not about becoming a person that no longer believes in God. It's losing your religion is a Southern phrase. That means losing your shit getting mad and let letting yourself go like in public in front of everyone else because if you're doing that you're, you're definitely not a man of god anymore to to be like that in front of other people they're from the south too aren't they athens georgia mm-hmm. yep um so that was the second layer but now you know that church is built on top of a planet and that planet is bursting through the floorboards of this place as it's left been left, you know, somewhat derelict. Right. Right. So there's the three layers. There's the pinnacle. Then there's like the religion, the old ways, the, the, what humanity was when they had faith, when they believed in something. And then you have just the raw nature where we came from the soil that we crawled out of. Mm -hmm. I think that that's interesting and a major theme to that we'll see i don't know about remake that we see in original is the everything man has created kind of being reclaimed 
by that planet eventually. Mm. And so this is mm -hmm. the slightest little hint of that. Outstanding. So the first words out of Aerith's mouth are, Oh my God, another hunky soldier fell into my garden. God, he's dressed <laughs> just like the older guy too. Tall, <laughs> handsome, different shade of hair though. Big sword. Yep, that's consistent. A hair quieter though. Your name isn't, Z are, are you Zach's brother? Oh, you know what? Ne never mind. Never mind. I'm kidding. That doesn't happen. But uh, what I'm pointing out here is that after just finishing Crisis Core, I'm astonished that Zach meets Aerith the very same way that Cloud does. Um, he also fell through. Uh, uh, well, I don't. Yeah, sure. He fell through the roof. Maybe the hole already existed. Maybe it was Zach's head that crashed <laughs> through this. <laughs> the roof in the first place and cloud happened to fall through it as well so sure nice work zach if there was no no other materials breaking his fall in the way if he felt through through the zach hole <laughs> the <laughs> what, okay so crisis core you got to remind me it's been so long since i played it sure where was where was zach falling from was he at the sector five reactor oh my god i don't remember I'm not going to get into a lot of detail here, but what happens at the end of chapter three in Crisis Core is Zack is chasing Dr. Hollander through his secret lab in the Sector 5 reactor when he's waylaid by fellow soldier Angeal. Angeal shoots a magic spell at Zack, which makes the grating that he's standing under give way. Zack falls through it and to the slums below. Okay, whatever. It's not that. Should I take a second to look that up? No, I don't. I don't fucking care. Okay, sure. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. That game is like thirty percent canon in my head. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I, I filter some of that stuff out. Like, yeah, Zach is definitely a guy who existed, but I really don't care about Genesis until Rebirth makes me care about Genesis. Right. Hmm. So, anyway. Um, yeah, it is funny that if we take it on its face value that this is the second time it's happened, that's pretty funny, except that, you know, um, I believe Aerith is a person that like she she follows. She has faith. She understands that fate exists and that potentially she is fated to do things. So for her, well, let's just say when they made original Final Fantasy seven, I don't think they had that in their head that this was the second time this happened upon making crisis core they would be like oh man that would be that just makes so much sense like again it's like poetry so if they rhyme it would just it come full circle for her and that's why she's so interested in cloud you know because everything is lining up so you kind of have a point there that it's a little too coincidental Right. But they introduce themselves. Uh, we learn her name. It is Aerith, A-E-R-I-T-H. And she says not to worry about the flowers. They're tough. The church has a power to it. If you've played the original, if you've met OG Aerith, and now you're, or if you met OG Eris, and now you're meeting Aerith, it's this little hint that like, ah, oh, that's kind of different, you know? Because she was all, stay away from flowers. Don't walk through the flowers. They're... They're not resilient in her mind, whereas this one has some sort of different perspective that the, the not to worry about the flowers he fell in. Mm -hmm. So we get to chatting. Um, let's cover the remake chatting first, and then we can kind of use OG to fill in the gaps a little bit here. Sure. That's Earth brings up materia. Do you have materia yet? Yeah, I have some, says Cloud. And Earth says she's got a materia too, but it's good for nothing. But that's okay. It's a gift from my mother. I've got one too. You and everybody and their mother. Not like mine, no. It's special. 
Mine's not good for anything at all. That you just don't know how to use it. And then Cloud receives visions of the future. He sees the white materia, a polished white pearl, you know, white materia. Aerith praying, and then the white materia falling and splashing into water. If you've played original, you know. You know because it still hurts. It isn't any spoiler to anybody that's played the original, but we are flashing, or we are hinting at shots of moments when Aerith passes in the original. He's been seeing flashes of, like, Sephiroth here and there. He's been seeing flashes of his past, other characters kind of creeping in. Right. Mm-hmm. We did see in chapter three, I think he had a flash of Midgar's pillar exploding. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think this is probably our second one then that we know cloud has what I'm going to call precogging or like precognitive information filling your mind of the ability to see the future and these instances, I'll just say it here. You know, as much as, as much as we're trying to preserve things for me, the cat's kind of out of the bag on this one. How do you, should I continue with my train of thought here? Yeah, please. Okay. So for me, the cat's kind of out of the bag on this one is that the th- visions we're seeing in the future, those like uh staticky, green mako flashes that the sound that hits cloud and the the experience he has if he views the past as we understand it his past of like a, a flash to something that happened in his history intruding on him or something that would technically be in his future the effect is the same so that tells me is this all in his past <laughs> is he you know, as I talked about, like, in my little stupid theory, there's another cloud that is able to kind of talk with us and share information with us. Is this cloud talking to another cloud from potentially further down the road to where he's seen these things happen before? Mm, interesting. That's kind of my uh, my thing is he is he like linking up to the. The cloud verse or something is he it would be nice if there was dialogue between the two personas about the flashes but there isn't and especially after this one he just returns to his conversation he's like he had his like moment you know and then goes right back into like you you probably just don't know how to use your materia girl <laughs> you know he doesn't address it in any way whatsoever do we need to touch on og it's mostly the same conversation what we get in OG that we don't get in remake is that cloud introduces himself as like a a Jack of all trades, mercenary kind of dude that can take on any job. And then she says she's looking to, you know, have a bodyguard take her home. And so there's this whole dynamic that happens there of Mm -hmm. like her hiring him with a date and, him kind of elaborating on what he does that doesn't actually happen in remake. She skips right to the materia in remake, I think. Yeah, that's right. And afterwards she says, do you want to talk? Well, please wait while I garden. Don't you dare walk through the garden while he gardens. There's nothing for you to do. (laughs) Aerith probably cannot walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. I'm thinking, and you just speak with her again. It's It's just a weird classic RPG thing that you have to do. Then what happens next is 
A young man with red hair and some other Shinra forces walk into the church. This guy is Reno. Young man with spiky red hair in the front and even longer red ponytail in the back. An open white collared shirt that exposes the center of his hairless chest. A light fitted black coat, black slacks, and black dress shoes. He rests a sci-fi looking cattle prod on his shoulder. I kind of read it as a riot baton or something like that. Oh sure, certainly. Uh, the Turk music plays. It is cool. <laughs> It's even better in remake. They do a good job with it. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you have the dialogue or anything you want to address? Not the dialogue exactly, except when original when Reno walks in, he just says he he walks in solo. He's not flanked by other soldiers, and he says, "Don't mind me," which is a little suspicious given like how nice he's dressed mm -hmm. and how he kind of inserts himself into our quiet moment. Yeah, that's if you run like when Aerith is uh, gardening. If you, you see him on the other end and you're like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? And if you run up and talk to him, he just says, don't mind me. And, and you can't progress anything else with him. He's just kind of like awkwardly watching you. You mind him. You mind him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like uh, when you go back to her, that's when she's like, maybe that's the first time in OG where she's like, hey, by the way, um, I need a bodyguard. <laughs> as soon as this dude walks in, it's not like... She, you don't know who he is and you think maybe she doesn't know who he is, but based on her response, she absolutely knows who this is, why he's here, what's about to happen because she's, she's just, again, they do a really good job of like your first playthrough, you interpret everything one way, your second playthrough, you interpret it completely different because you don't know any of what's about to go down your first playthrough. And so the bodyguard thing just comes out of nowhere but the second playthrough, you're just like, oh, she absolutely is <laughs> like, mm -hmm. uh oh, uh, something's about to happen. She plays it very cool, though. She's not panicked. Yes. Oh, yeah. But she does marshal her defenses or gets Cloud on her side. Yes, exactly. Also, um, when when Cloud says in this little moment where you keep talking to her while she's gardening, uh, Cloud says he's a jack of all trades and um, Aerith just kind of laughs at him and he's like, what? <laughs> What's so funny? And when you like try to run off, she's like, oh, don't let it bother you. And it's Reno that prompts you to kind of run off your his presence. You're like, oh, I'll go talk to this guy. And she's like, don't be offended by me laughing at you. And I'm just like, this is another lost in translation moment. I'm like, I don't know what's happening between them because you just saying like, oh yeah, I, I do everything. What's so funny about that? I didn't, I didn't get that dialogue. Mm -hmm. After Aerith has cloud be her bodyguard and clouds kind of reluctant about it in his cool, you know, muted sort of way. Cloud says to Reno, I don't know you. Then we get a flash and then we see it printed on the screen, I know you, as text that's outside of a text box, like as if it were the repressed cloud. And then cloud says, oh yeah, I know you. Which is interesting because in the conversation between the two personas earlier, it was the present one that was protecting the repressed one. And here, the repressed one is coaching the present one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's where I have my note here that if you obey my 11 year old logic, that that's a dead cloud who did end up becoming a soldier of sorts, probably interacted with the Turks at some point as a member of Shinra. Whereas like 
whoever we are, like Clone Cloud or whatever you want to call him, he hasn't ever interacted with the Turks in any capacity in his life as whatever he is. So that was another like my my theory is airtight <laughs> moment of like the guy who has actually interacted with these is telling the guy who hasn't like, hey, I'll give you my my mental energy to just give you a f- the screen even flashes white. Mm-hmm. And so when he says that, it's like, hey, I just you downloaded all the data on Turks into your head. I <laughs> in guess that so. moment. Right. But but again, the, my theory I have there has been completely debunked by Ultimania's further content, whatever. It's just fun to entertain as like bringing up that nostalgia of it. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is this the same kind of um, dynamic happens in remake where he shows up and. You know, he's questioning, hey, what's going on here or whatever. But um, that in that moment, when Reno kind of asks, like, who who's this guy? Who you, got, who you hanging out with, Aerith? She's like, oh, he's my bodyguard. He's a men- member of Soldier. And he says ex-Soldier. And she does all of that lore drop without him ever saying any of that stuff. Indeed. Yes. And there's even, you're thinking, okay, is that like... You know, they're just they're keeping the pace flowing in the writing or is that a plot hole or an oversight? And I even saw recently in our discord, somebody posted an article about this, about how people had problems with the plot holes in Final Fantasy seven remake. But it's like to me, it's not a plot hole because there's a part where um, Aerith also says, oh, yeah, he's a merc. And then Cloud like shoots her this look of like, wait a second. How do you know all of this? Like, he doesn't say that, but he just looks at her like, what? How do you know this about me? And she even, like, catches her own mistake of, like, oh, shit. Yeah, I've said too much. And so she says, uh, I, I guess, you know, from the, the big sword, right? You don't mind, do you? Bodyguard work's not too different from Merc stuff, right? Uh, I guessed. From the sword. Just do this for me, okay? And it's she's covering her track. So it's like the script itself is saying, is telling you, like, we know that you know that this is progressing faster than the original. Her her understanding of who Cloud is in this context. But you might say that she's precogging too. Exactly. Because what we know in that first scene of meeting Aerith in the well, maybe not the very first scene of meeting Aerith as players, but of cloud meeting her in the Midgar streets. She was plagued by the ghosts and they were invisible to cloud. And then she touches him and he can see them as well. So there is some sort of, you know, just hand wave magic. We don't, we don't know what to call it. (laughs) It's, it's happening in the subtext. It's not explicitly being Uh explained to us, but we know that the two of them now have a connection. And I, obviously we just started the game think within the reactor before that we did get cloud precogging a, a sephiroth feather or something so i don't know yeah. that she's giving him that ability but we do we do know on some basic level the two of them are connected uh, in ways that others aren't and now we have more people that can see the ghosts like barrett and whatever so maybe clouds infecting people with with a uh, ghost Mm-hmm. presence or whatever but uh in addition to being the bodyguard as reno enters the building cloud says it'll cost you and air says a date then 
and it's a date then. Yep. And it's almost like she's reading right off of the OG Final Fantasy seven script in this instance, because that's the same agreement they make in OG as well. Even if, uh, the, the sequence is a little bit flipped. Reno, like president Shinra has trouble believing cloud was in soldier and, uh, that reinforces the maybe he is or isn't in it. Uh, but in original, he says simply, hey, sis, this one's a little weird. That's kind of establishing that those two have, I don't know if it's a relationship, but they're on cordial enough terms that they would uh, use, that Reno would use that kind of language. Or Reno is just kind of like that, where he just speaks very casually, even if he is sort of menacing. I don't think we've even talked about what the Turks are uh, yet. The Turks are basically like the Shinra secret police. You're going to meet a variety of them over the course of the game. And they're always dressed very nicely. Some of them uh, get around Midgar by helicopter. And they are... Who do they report to? Do they report directly to the president? Uh, well, their boss, who I would say the top person within the Turks, is at the point of this game, it's a guy named Sung. Or it's spelled T-S-E-N-G, but uh, mm. if you read it kind of in the Chinese uh, spelling tradition, I think it's pronounced Sung. And, um, it's pronounced Song in Crisis Core? Yes. So he's the leader of the Turks at this time. I think the person that is the boss of the Turks, though, is a guy by the name of Rufus, who we have not met yet think they're they're his pet project i don't think the president of shinra cares about the turks because we don't really see them ever in meetings with him whenever we see president shinra in og he's with his boardroom of kind of like the old guard the the old guys the the fatso yeah. the the big bearded dude you know the the older lady. We'll get into that. We'll we'll talk about Scarlet here in a little bit in this chapter. But uh, they've got their own thing going on, and they're monitoring the actions of a little flower girl. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Gestapo is their eyes on a flower girl. Yeah, and you mentioned that Reno um, had trouble believing Cloud was in Soldier. I'm kind of getting the impression that like if you were in first class, people are gonna know who you were and what your name was. It's maybe this isn't supported in like. By the amount of grunts they throw at you as random battles in the original game. Uh-huh. The the text of the narrative is telling me in every case that like if you say you're first first class and nobody knows who you are, they're just gonna call bullshit. I think Reno even says it's bullshit. It, it's kind of giving me the the vibe of like you say, Oh, I was a quarterback in the NFL. And somebody's like, oh, wait, what? Really? What team? And you're like, Green Bay Packers, first string. It's like, they've had, everyone knows who the quarterbacks of that team are. You you can't bullshit that one when it comes to being a first class soldier, you know? So that's kind of, at least in Remake, how they're presenting this fact of like Cloud running around telling you like, oh, I'm, I'm soldier first class, no big deal. Like everybody's like, uh, what? He's getting away with it with all the lay people though. Yeah, Barrett has no clue. <laughs> so we, we get a battle. We do. Oh my gosh. It is kind of a delight to have a boss battle at the beginning of a chapter here. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this guy. He's fast, man. Um, First thing is he, when he dashes around, he leaves behind a blue, he leaves behind blue and white electrical fire trails. He's got these 
He's got these melee combos that will knock you on your ass. Shock swipe, he dashes into your face and does another type of melee combo. EM shot, he shoots a ball of electricity at you. He can counterattack you, so watch out for that. And the way you defeat him is by switching to Punisher mode and deflecting and, and using your own counterattacks on him. That actually increases his stagger bar uh, by by the most out of all the strategies you could you can do here. And at 50%, he spawns a series of drones called EM mines, and they create beams of electricity that you have to dodge. He also has abilities that like use those mines as well, uh, one of which is called EM Flail, where he creates a whip of electricity from the end of his baton, and he snatches one of those mines and they throws it at you. The drones can stun as well, which opens Cloud up for Reno to do one of his more devastating attacks called Bright Spark. It's no surprise that he resists lightning because that's all the magic damage he dishes whatsoever. Um, and in my first playthrough against him, I let him kill me because I realized I don't have assess on me and I want to assess his ass. <laughs> I do game over on purpose, personally. And at the end of the fight, Cloud is about to execute Reno. And, but a dozen specters emerge out of the floor and literally pull Cloud and Aerith into another room, preventing us from doing so, saving Reno's life. Reno's got nothing to say about the ghosts. Maybe he doesn't see them in the same way that Cloud didn't, or, yeah, in the same way Cloud didn't see them earlier. But you might think that he'd have a reaction to Cloud and Aerith let's say, throwing themselves into the other room and the doors slamming shut automatically behind them. I think we get that in game two. Don't we have a moment where, like, the soldiers are just kind of milling about, like, chasing after you and the ghosts are everywhere? Does Cloud say something along like, are you blind? Or, you know, like, do you not see these things? Drop your weapon! Are you blind? Because, like, he's realizing they're not seeing them at all and this church is being, like, consumed by them almost like they're crawling up the walls and around every doorway like uh guiding your path um i'll say a couple of things about reno's fight is i also got a game over because i don't still don't to this moment know how to dodge the em shot like the timing of it i've tried dodging early i've tried dodging late and it will hit you every single time i've tried blocking it and you will just be stunned and so i just had to resolve that i'm gonna be hit by this fucking thing every time he shoots it and just prepare my healing and whatnot to deal with it afterwards mm -hmm. because i consider myself a pretty good dodger <laughs> and playing final fantasy 16 that's the entire game is just dodging things at the right moment so to not be able to do that in this i'm like there something is up here i'm not sure what i'm missing but it's not immediately clear what i need to be doing differently to not get my ass kicked by this guy but that's fine i beat him eventually and then also i'll say that moment where the ghosts whisk you away from killing him Aerith also screams to you that cloud do not kill him right she she kind of reaches out and is like no don't because cloud doesn't know any better he thinks this guy's just a shinra stooge murderer you know assailant she he doesn't know the connection she has with him and so yeah that's something that is interesting that like she is in involved in some way with them and mm -hmm. there's actually dialogue mid fight you can kind of miss it if you're just lost in the moment or not listening but um uh, Reno says to you, Cloud, he says, bodyguard, huh? You know I'm hers too, right? And Aerith says, really? Since when? This is the first I've heard of it. 
And Reno says, classified op, princess. And uh, Aerith replies with, I don't think that counts then. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, we didn't have an explanation in OG why Reno showed up here. And I think this gives us an explanation in both remake and OG, like why Reno chose to visit at this specific moment is Shinra was tracking us at the Sector 5 reactor and they probably had a camera that said, oh, we saw one of the one of the uh, mm. avalanche members fall below, mm. you know, and, and it turns out like somebody's like, oh, shit, he landed in uh, that church where Aerith hangs out like, all right, call Reno. Reno's her bodyguard. Just make sure she doesn't get wrapped up in any avalanche shit by this guy. Like, I, you know, mm, I'm kind of stretching mm-hmm. here. I like that theory. Yeah, it does give an explanation of like, okay, really, he shows up the exact moment that we, you know, we get here. That's interesting. But uh, him being her bodyguard is definitely provides that explanation of like, okay, we can't have any weird people floating around our asset. Reno, get in there, take care of it. You got me thinking now in remake, the entire city of Midgar watched this guy fall. Unless they cut the video when when a airbuster died as a means to like mitigate the damaged reputation but if they didn't there would be a crowd of people coming out to the to look for this interloper that fell from the plate uh as cloud said 10 bucks they cut the audio and now 20 bucks they cut the video halfway through definitely in remake reno sends his shinra forces out to retrieve Aerith, and he says we bring her back in one piece it's important that we don't shoot her up they actually try and shoot her and he says stop no no shooting Mm, mm -hmm. that happens too in original yeah and it kind of just makes me think that it is canon in the the final fantasy 7 world i mean there will be a scene in a certain little mining town layer that negates my theory here but my theory is is that guns just do blunt like physical damage like being hit with a fist that is the power a bullet has in this world because there's also a scene in a certain final fantasy 7 movie where cloud is shot in the face and it just breaks his glasses (laughs) so um that's that's my my thing is like either that or like people just kind of casually walk around with a barrier material like surrounded in a low-key invisible uh barrier spell that negates bullet death because i know i do exactly like for these troops to just open fire on their primary asset as we know it within the context of both original and remake it's like for them to just be firing the guns like oh you might just hit her in the head and just destroy the entire future of your company here roll credits exactly like i i have to say that guns as a combat mechanic of gameplay yes they do not kill kill me when i am shot by a bullet but i think that's the in-universe exa- explanation too is that bullets just don't kill people at all mm-hmm. they hurt them the manner of escape is wildly different between the two games in remake the ghosts are steering us through the church as we ascend up to uh, exit out the roof they're cutting off uh, certain pathways they're saving Aerith when she uh, nearly falls into uh, the enemy hands they they're creating a lot of hands-on steerage 
Kind of like how they did in the attack at the Sector 7 slums when certain alleys were kind of blocked off by these cascades of ghosts that were physical barriers to our game world. We are able to drop chandeliers on the troops to help us escape. However, in original, you know, there's none of the ghosts, of course, but when you get up to the rafters, you toss these conspicuously placed barrels off rafter beams onto Shinra forces. There's four of them up there. You have three chances to drop the barrel down. And in order to do it correctly, you have to kind of imagine this particular room in the game world, the, the three-dimensional profile of, like imagine like a wireframe version of the game uh, room that we're in right now and kind of project where the Shinra forces are relative to the barrel that will fall. And it isn't so obvious as it being like right on top of their head because one of the three barrels rolls down a staircase and, and gives them the, <laughs> the Indiana Jones yep. treatment. They've got to run out of the way or get demolished, right? And rolling correctly, rolling the correct barrel means you don't have to engage in a normal fight with them. I used to get it wrong all the time there because the barrel that is closest to the camera is the most tantalizing one. Like it, it's just bigger in the game screen because that's the depth of, of the room we're in. And that's the one that you don't have to use. And I ended up doing it correctly, probably for the first time in my life, replaying this game. It's the opposite for me. I, uh, <laughs> I had it memorized, Yeah, which as a kid, like that was a pride and joy of mine. And because I played through this segment so many times without my memory card, as uh, we've talked about previously, I had it locked into my brain and I totally fucked it up this time in our, in my recent replay of it. So uh -huh. um, I got to experience all of the Aerith moments of her, like, what the hell are you doing? Why, what are you doing up there? It's one of those little things um, with the, the barrel dropping of like, I guess it's not that big of a deal today in modern AAA gaming, but back then to have a game that was dedicated to doing more than just its base systems and mechanics to like, it seemed to always break off into these little, I wouldn't even call them mini games, but just ways to like, oh, that that's fun. That's interesting. And it's not even particularly rewarding for you to get it right. It's mm -hmm. probably actually more detrimental because you're just, you're robbing Aerith of EXP by not getting in those fights, but hmm. it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter either way, whether she fights or she doesn't fight. It's not that big of a deal, but it's a way to like you to get that little like joy in your head of like, yeah, I got it. That was awesome. I did it right. Original likes to rapidly shift to a minigame, pretty much unprompted, pretty much without a chance to save beforehand, and with stakes on the line uh, for snap decisions. Mm -hmm. And some of them pull off pretty well. I don't think I'd say this is one of them, but it's not an annoying one. It isn't a pointless one. It isn't, uh, I don't know, I look back at Original and I think about the filling your lungs with air to give breath to a drowned person in Junin. Yes. And the meter that measures how much breath you have is so tiny and silly. And I think there's like a little lung illustration that goes, that's like printed on the screen next to the, the meter. <laughs> and it's just it's so silly and melodramatic in a weird way usually you don't want your mini games married to this melodrama but this but that one is like i said there are there are good mini games and this lisa doesn't 
overstates welcome. It's just that like funny creativity we got in the PlayStation era of, I think the ultimate example is the fighting game in the middle of Xenogears, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody, as far as I know, maybe I need to play more games, but from that era, nobody has ever gone as hard as Xenogears went in that case. But this is emblematic of like a little morsel of that kind of thing of like this Final Fantasy VII OG is just absolutely peppered with all of these little moments. And I was kind of disappointed by remake just having a on-screen single prompt we knocked down a chandelier instead which makes more sense that there would be a chandelier instead of barrels floating on top of rafters right yes it's this on rails thing of like that is you go and you click the thing and that is how the plot advances so it's like they're checking the boxes of remember this right Mm -hmm. but it's not the same it's not you you don't get to choose between four chandeliers and roll a chandelier down a staircase (laughs) but it's it's there Uh to some little degree sure so in remake once we're kind of um adequately away from the troops via chandelier dropping and weaseling our way upstairs um and the the ghosts too kind of holding doors shut so the troops can't get through as fast as we're progressing it gets to the point where uh, the soldiers ask Reno, like, hey, should we circle around? Should we pursue? And uh, Reno's just like, nah, partners got it. They're in the attic. Should we pursue? Partners got it. We are out. He's sick of this shit. So we're we're in the church attic. And um, Cloud says more of those things, referring to the dust ghosts. And Aerith responds, like, surprisingly, you know, and she, she doesn't have the, the negative view of it that maybe Cloud or understandably so the party of people attacked by them a day earlier might have but mm-hmm. um uh Aerith is like it's like they're guiding us so cool and cloud asks what are what are they does she know anything about them and Aerith says i think actually no i don't know let's just go and so to me that moment is important because it's like she's she's ready and willing to tap into like answering clouds question of what are they and we're given an indication like that she has an answer in her head but then i think she comes to the conclusion of like cloud is not ready for that answer and so um she's like we're kind of piecing together as a player that there's more to her than is than meets the eye with like the earlier revelation of knowing who cloud is ahead of the time Mm -hmm. and having in her head an explanation of what's going on and her being the one of like, they're guiding us. They're pointing us in the right direction. Cloud didn't see it that way or understand that perspective earlier uh, in the slums, but that's kind of her take on it is they're helping her get to where she needs to go because Perhaps she knows where she needs to go. She's seen this before. And so they're kind of assisting with that in this case. Um, So she has something she wants to say and she knows Cloud isn't ready for it. And so I thought that was pretty interesting in that little exchange. Next, we escape out the roof and we... And we walk along rooftops, along scaffolding, up and down ladders above the streets of Sector 5, excuse me, above the streets of Sector 5 slums to put distance on on uh, Reno and the other Shinra forces. In original, this rooftop hopping scene felt very special back then. There's this tender music playing. I don't have the name of the 
crack. It's uh, soft and gentle, and we feel characterization between the two characters. And it's also kind of neat because over the course of the game, we've been in these 3D rooms. But for this particular character building moment, it's kind of a side-scroller where we're hopping between pile of rubble to rooftop to the next thing. And there's a parallax background behind the foreground that we're walking across. And it's got the center pillar in the distance. It feels like a slice of life moment that I recall really relishing. One of the things we see about Aerith in this scene is her like the physical fitness difference. Easy now. You worry too much. I'm not some princess who needs to be coddled. Shit. Between the two, because Cloud is just marching through this garbage, no problem. <laughs> but we get ahead of Aerith and she's like, hey, wait up. We have this wait a moment moment where she's kind of, at least in original, she like does a, she kind of pumps her arms and pumps her knees, getting ready to jump down uh, a, like a, a six or eight feet jump. And when she lands, her, the inertia of her jump has her like, not quite stumbling, but like running forward a, a hair out of control rather than, as an example, Cloud would probably just come to a stop because he's just that agile. Mm -hmm. And it's an extension of her. She's gentle. She's not the warrior that he is. The juxtaposition between the two feels really nice in this, I'm going to call it a romantic moment. Even if it isn't like, when I say romantic, sometimes I mean in a more classically romantic sort of way. Sure. Like a Shakespearean sort of romantic way, not necessarily a, a lovey-dovey romantic moment. Because Cloud insults her. <laughs> For not being physically fit a moment later. Does he? I don't remember that. The, as they're, they're kind of chatting on the rooftops, um, you know, she's asking all these questions of like, you know, who are those guys? What's going on? Whatever. Like she's, she's playing a role for Cloud's benefit, even in OG, I think, because she absolutely knew Reno. He, he knew her and she knows him because she knew to ask for a bodyguard, right? So even mm -hmm. in the context of OG, no precogging necessary. She knows 100% who these people are. And later in the game, it's revealed that she's lived her life under the a certain sort of relationship with this team of people that is the Turks. So that conversation is probably, you know, if I'm judging it as like a cynic, like that entire conversation exists for us, the player to be filled in to some degree. Mm -hmm. But I think she's also prodding cloud for like, how much do you know what's going on here? How much can I trust you? If you're soldier, do you know who I am? Do you know what's going on here? Or are, are you in the dark? Like everyone else is. So, so when he says, so why are they after you? That kind of clues her in of like, okay, he doesn't he doesn't know the full story here then. And she says, oh, maybe they think I'd be a really great soldier candidate. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and we mean soldier all caps, the organization, not just uh, the guys with the machine guns. So later when they're hopping along the rooftops and she's doing her pumping animation of getting ready to jump and then huffs and wheezes and tells him to slow down and everything. He, he insults her by saying, I thought you said you were cut out to be in soldier. Mm -hmm. And she says, you're terrible. Um, and uh, in remake, the same thing happens, except she says, so petty. Don't just run off on your own. <laughs> Those are the words of a soldier candidate. 
So petty. When you're in the church and you're escaping and you, you finally jump out of that church hole, as we specified earlier, uh, oh, to boy. escape, um, you know, you're you're roughly it makes sense. Like you're you're a human being standing inside a church and the ceiling of that place is massive. The hole's massive, etc. Now, when they're sitting out on the rooftop outside having their little conversation, your body, the two of you are as big as the hole. You're also as tall as these like giant vaulted doors to the church as well <laughs> so there's definitely like a massive perspective issue going on here where they created this this map that you're standing on and it like it looks like the map of a, a small little corner of the slums city except you mm-hmm. you the two of you are absolute titans stopping around on everything it's pretty hilarious looking in my opinion that they got it that wrong perspective wise but you know what are you gonna do it's 1996 97 so yeah just roll with it once the map making guy has finished it you're like all right well this game's got to come out in two months so put it in <laughs> but uh anyway so i i always find that entertaining even back when i was a kid i'm like wait what what happened here are we on the world map already but anyway uh and then the other thing is in in remake when we start a little wor- rooftop journey Aerith says shall we mosey on over see that pillar over there there's a station right by it shall we mosey on over let's and cloud says let's so the squishing has happened even here we've squished the ending of the game down to chapter eight of remake we have let's mosey as a uh dialogue entry did he actually say that oh yeah she's she missed it she says shall we mosey on over and cloud says let's oh my god it's like an ontological paradox We even have to give them Let's Mosey. We even have to give them <laughs> Let's Mosey. Uh-huh. Like, Definitely. So here it is. <laughs> I can't believe I missed it. Wow. It's like right when you start the um, the rooftop stuff. Like you're standing outside the church platforms and she's like, all right, we're ready to go. Let's go. Sure. Kind of Aerith asks you like, all right, well, what's we're in remake here. And Aerith kind of asks you, like, all right, what's, what's next? And he, Cloud says, bit of bodyguard work. Then back to Sector 7. And Aerith says, you know how to get there? And Cloud says, yep. Aerith says in a very, like, patronizing tone, of course you do. Uh, and uh, it's like, this is a moment of voice acting triumph where the game is enriched so much more by having people delivering that line instead of you reading it in any way you you choose because it could be of course you do you know like she's totally accepting it but the way she delivers that line it's telling us like you know she is catching on to cloud's bullshit of like he just wants to get rid of her and be be through with this you know so yeah i know how to get there leave me alone sure you do right and and also her a little bit of her pre-knowledge of cloud knowing like i've i've been down this road with you before i know what's up so anyway but yeah he doesn't want to involve her and her response is perfect that it's like yeah i i I got it one of the questions she asks as they're going to the rooftops in original is were you ever in soldier yeah i used to be i think they already covered that in remake by now Mm -hmm. and she says I can tell by those Mako eyes. But how do you know about the eyes of Mako-infused people? She says, oh, nothing. Now, we made a joke about Zack crashing into the 
church earlier, uh, but this, I believe, is a reference to Zack, probably the first reference to Zack. Did Zack also have Mako-infused eyes? I went back and I looked. Yes, he does. For sure. And if you kind of take Aerith through as much of the game as you can, you'll get a lot more like little Zack tidbits here and there throughout OG in the section of the game that we won't even really cover in this <laughs> podcast. So I might as well just say it now. So there, I think there's something of her saying, like when you go to gold saucer, if she's in the party, she said like, she said something like, I knew somebody who always wanted to come here, but never like made it. And then you, you go to obviously his hometown of Gangaga and you go to his parents' house. She's kind of like, distraught by the fact that like oh maybe he went home or maybe he was here and finding out he isn't here you know so um there's a lot more of those moments in the game as well yeah yeah and and they all happened before the revelation of zach even existing like that that is a moment when you've in og7 before all of the external media and zach being a meme in and of himself when essentially you run on the screen except you've got black hair it's just this like wait what the fuck what am i looking at right zach Mm -hmm. was a total like he he had been hinted at alluded to so many different times but until you finally like put all the pieces together you'll never guess it a black-haired non sequitur Mm -hmm. but it does follow we just are getting caught up with the mystery in question kind of on a route back to sector five we well initially Aerith is going to help cloud get to sector seven so they go to the station and uh the station is a no-go because uh, they see a shinra chopper land and yet another turk hops out of it another turk a real man on a mission On the hunt, more like. For me? For you? And we can kind of tell that from the black suit. Now, his suit is not open buttons, casual. His suit is all black, tie-tied, cufflinks, cuffed, everything. He's he's got his glass on. Blackout shades. Yeah, this guy is the professional. If Reno was the lazy, like, ugh, let my partner deal with it, I'm out. You know, like, this guy, he... In his own words, as we'll meet him later, this guy crosses his T's and dots his eyes, where Reno absolutely does not. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they kind of say like, all right, well, the station's a no-go. We got to continue to crawl through the rubble of the slums. And uh, Cloud says monsters are better than Shinra to him. He, he doesn't mind monsters, but going up against Shinra is the bigger pain in the ass. Uh, man, I don't remember exactly, but I wrote this, no, we eat ourselves stupid because I think she's like enticing herself and Cloud to make their way through the, through the alternative route home, which is going to have hostile enemies. And like the reward is that once we get home, we're going to eat ourselves stupid. You're in for a treat when we make it back. We don't have time for that. You'll want to make time for my mom's cooking. And that's the final word on it. We'll get home quick and eat ourselves stupid. Pretty effing funny. Um, it remind, actually reminds me of uh, the near replicant script that I'm uh, going through for the next travelogue, where a character uncharacteristically says uh, to the main character about their plan that that is crazy town. You're actually going to go find the sealed verses? Yes. But that's crazy town. <laughs> you know that that was like some translators like, oh, I, I have no way 
to articulate this Japanese idea. So it's time to Americanize this for sure. So we make our way through the hostile areas. It's these long corridors that occasionally open up into areas where we're going to get into battles. Um, some of which are uh, hedgehog pies, which are these like fat gremlin like diminutive creatures. They're vulnerable to ice. We also run into not smoggers. Are they foggers? Maybe they are called smoggers. They're these droids that have a magnet-shaped head that and and like magnet-shaped appendages that spin in the on the neck or at the wrist, and uh, they explode when they die. And usually at the end of a battle, when the final guy falls, I take a moment to heal up with potions or a cure spell. Well, don't do that next to one of those guys because holy crap, can that do a lot of damage? Mm. And you know what? The rubble that you walk through in this Sector 5 alt route is hypnotizing. There's so much of it. It's quarter after quarter after open yard after more garbage after more derelict broken areas and and concrete crap and rebar twisted around. It's I felt like I was almost daydreaming playing this game because the environment was so was so much of the same but the detail is so great that you're just constantly passing all different kinds of crap it's just so strange to me it's at about this time in original where i'm getting a little like rubble fatigue <laughs> i don't know about that for me this was you know getting into this life in the slums this was where all of those drawings of taped together pieces of notebook paper of endlessly sprawling slums uh-huh. like i was creating mazes of and it wasn't necessarily a maze per se in og it's almost like remake with its uh rooftop traversal dungeon and subsequent alt path was fulfilling a like a boyhood dream of mine of like hmm i wonder be what it'd be like to create like a whole dungeon out of like slums rubble you know and i was doing that that's what i was drawing was mm-hmm. like you'd see uh, on one page there's like your a your starting point and then you're going to get to the top of whatever your destination is by crossing these nine sequential pages of linked together bullshit <laughs> and like uh <laughs> almost like i was game designing in my own little way there as a kid and and no one ever saw it or interacted with it other than me but that was enough that i was interacting with it this kind of leans into that question of like well why did why did they make a whole game out of midgar and it's like because you can make a whole game out of midgar <laughs> that was the boyhood dream you know and so i'm i'm like pleasantly surprised by this area it's not too much for me it's not a lot it's not like they like in the previous chapter i i said i'd be up for the water temple of uh underplate traversal you know for me in my head i can always go harder but i think they went pretty hard in this regard it makes sense i mean it's the horrible alt route we didn't take the train Mm -hmm. we took the junkyard of junkyard of junkyard way so it's fine it's just fatiguing for me to see Sure. Um, there are some locked doors, maybe two or three of them to these open areas as we navigate the zone. We'll be coming back here for main story quest stuff, quest, regular quest stuff. We're not too sure yet. In the meantime, in the equivalent sort of area or original doesn't exactly exist. We don't take the train in original. Excuse. Yeah, that was right. We don't take the train in original. There is no train. There is no train. Yeah. 
Yeah, we get off at the edge of the final rooftop. We descend a pile of crab <laughs> into this, uh, this dusty open area that has some people blocking a hole through a concrete wall at the far end. And you can fight some battles in this one area that is right in front of the Sector 5 slums, which is a more peaceful community. In that one area, you can fight bandits, and they're going to look like some NPCs we're going to run into next chapter. They stole an ether and a phoenix down from me. Not worth. I'm not too happy <laughs> about that. You can also run into whole eaters here. That's whole with a WH. And they're like the gougers in Remake, those four-legged worms with the nasty hagfish mouth. Sure. Hedgehog pies are out here too. And I thought the hell houses were out here as well, but I'm going to be... But I was wrong about that. I'm. They're in the uh, next area. They are in the next area. I can't wait to talk about that. Who made the hell house? Which came first, the demon or the hell house? <laughs> Chicken or the egg? The, the hell or the house? Strap in because that is so great. I think uh, this is getting... No, we, we'll save it. We'll save it. Yes. I'm not going to get into it. Okay, so I think that'll do it for now. Next episode, we're going to arrive at the Sector 5 slums, meet some new people, go on some quests, fight another boss, and uh, run into Aerith's mom and check out where she lives, which is a pretty special place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good times. Breaking boxes. Yes, breaking boxes. That's a good one, too. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. Of course, as you know, Hero of the Thousand Potions is the podcast that you're listening to, but that's part of the Gunblade Guys brand that Nate and I are a part of. Nate's very, very relevant and present on Twitch and on YouTube. Check out Gunblade Guys and you can find us there. What are you playing now, Nate? What's going on? I got back into Tactics Ogre. I stopped playing the game because uh, my voice was just destroyed earlier this year and like I couldn't mm. do any talking without like coughing a lung out. And so I just kind of like took a break and started working on other types of videos that didn't require my, my voice at all. And uh, so now I'm getting back into Tactics Ogre. I've been playing Final Fantasy 16 when I have time to. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of responsibilities with raising a kid by yourself because your wife is overseas. But when I can, I'm doing that. And then sometimes I just stream random stuff at night. Like, you know, if I, I know I don't really have the time or the commitment level I want for an ongoing series, I just kind of toss something on or maybe i'll play some xenoblade chronicles 2 if i know i have a a chunk of time at night that will hopefully go uninterrupted so yeah lots of stuff lots of stuff i just did that uh, earthbound speedrun tutorial as well first second and third videos that i've done entirely by myself for the channel i'm sure nate's very happy about that oh yeah i loved them they were a lot of fun cool cool i'm glad you feel that way right so we invite you to like us, subscribe to us, five stars, write a review about us, and tell a fellow game liker about us too. That would be really great. Join us on Discord. You can find a link to our Discord on our podcast description paragraph. There's also an opportunity to tip us out there as well. And uh, you can also uh, forget about emailing us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com. All right. All right. That'll do it. Have a good day, everybody. And we will see you in the Sector 5 slums. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hit it, Aerith.
Uh, can I step away for a second? I need to plug Teddy in. His battery is low. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and by that, I mean the monitor. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Ding. There it is. You know, thanks, George Lucas. Yes. Um, thanks, George Lucas. I think we're ready for Reno, right? We're ready for Reno all of a sudden. I'm not going to do it like that. One moment here. Hey, babe. Come on, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> for what weekend? Okay. All right, we'll talk more about it. Rose is stepping out to get her her card. Mm. But what I meant was, we're in remake here, and Aerith kind of asks you, like, "All right, what's what's next?" And he says, "Biddy, Biddy." Cloud says. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, oh. Freudian. Twisted, Nate. Sorry. <laughs> come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. <laughs> Which was originally a Red Hot Chili Pepper song. Anytime I, you can, don't actually put this in the podcast. Unless, mm. unless we're going to actually put it in the podcast that I leave that up to you. But anytime I hear, anytime I hear anyone say like, let's get stupid or eat ourselves stupid or whatever. I immediately flash into my head. The fact that the black eyed peas song, uh, let's get it started is not the way that that song was originally released. And it was changed after the fact the original song is let's get retarded.